If you really want to help, you'd up and move to Africa. This was said a few minutes after I'd just spoken at a college chapel about global poverty, and a particularly fired up student was trying to convince his classmates to resist child sponsorship in favor of a more radical and, in his mind, a more holistic response to the problem of poverty. His suggestion that a serious person would uproot their entire lives in response to the information they'd just been handed is as dramatic as it is problematic. See, aside from the white savior conflicts that response borrows from, it also ignores an often overlooked opportunity the privileged have because of our privilege. Access to the hearts and minds of other privileged people. Because somewhere in the mix, that student was right that there is a link between the way people like me live and the tragic circumstances in which far too many other people live, that I should change the way I live, if I'm serious about changing things for folks in extreme poverty. But, and, one of the opportunities I'm afforded because of my position is to change and grow in a way that inspires, informs, and even leads other people in my same position. And that's not sexy work to do. In fact, it can look suspiciously like compromise and slowness, and sometimes it is. Which is why we like to tell stories about the families who sold everything and left for Fallujah without a plan. I thank God for those stories. They're just not my story. And they're not David Zack's story either. David, like I did, ran headlong into stories about human trafficking along the way he was already living. And the decisions he'd made about how he could respond as a person of privilege to leverage that privilege and his power are truly powerful stories. I was thrilled to talk with him about his history and his work. Check it out. Where are you? I'm in Nashville. This is my living room set up. I'm working on like uh, the light show for the new for the new album. Yeah. It's nice I have this space right here so I don't have to like go out in the garage or anything or go to a studio or anything. I have it all set up here. That's gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, you're not from Nashville. I'm from Nebraska. Grew up in Omaha. Yeah? Went to, went to school in Lincoln. The The organization Exodus Road is in Colorado Springs. Yeah. But like you're or like originally you're from Nebraska and then yeah. you went and you grew up in Nebraska. Yeah. And then you went to college in Nebraska. Yeah. Like you didn't even leave town, town, town to, to go. I mean, Omaha, Omaha to Lincoln's what, like an hour and a half, two hours? Just 45 minutes. Not even. Hop, skip, yeah. you can hit with a really well-thrown baseball. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. then, and you, what'd you study in college? Mathematics. Well, God bless you. <laughs> <laughs> and I do love it. Like it is, it, 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 it I, I haven't used it, but I, I hope it made me think better. Sure. Four years having to think about yes, that. Yes. <laughs> I'm assuming that you still have like a family in Nebraska. Yeah. My mom lives in Omaha. My brother, Philip, who, who produces all the band's albums is in Lincoln. Okay. Our, my brother, Dan's there. Do you, and do you live in Nashville full time then? Yeah. We've lived here for 10 years now. Okay. Do you feel like when I say the word home, is that Omaha? Is that Nashville? Is it the bus? Is like, where is home? That's a, that's a great question. I don't, I don't think I, the farther I get from Nebraska, there's something there. That's the soil that I'm huh. made of. Right. 
You know, okay. I heard propaganda uh, hip hop artists talk about that, how we're, we're literally made of the soil that our parents were living on when we were kids, you know, yes. or when we were born. And so I, the older I get, I do feel a connection. Like I'm not a I'm not like a Cornhusker fan. Like I, I get excited <laughs> if they do well or when they do well, but I'm not like, you know, paying that much attention. That's really good. Nashville's what it is. There's, we're just a collection of people from all over the place. And you've been there for 10 years, though. So it's got to be a yeah. little bit different than it used to be, right? I mean, it used like Nashville, I think, experience, and I don't, I live in California, and so, you know, everything east and south of me is uh, not strange, but potentially an enemy. Um, yeah. So, but like, Nashville's not the town it used to be. You've been there for 10 years. It's different. Does it feel more like a place you can call home now, or is it still like, because you moved there for work, right? You move you moved to yeah. Nashville for the same reason that pe- people moved to uh, or you, you know, used to move to Detroit. It's like, well, because the cars. Yeah. Uh, does it feel more now like a place you can like call home and feel like a person, or is it still like I'm here for work, and home is still somewhere else? Well, now there's all the memories of the kids. So okay. I have three kids: Jack, Jack's 15, Avis 13, Stella's 10. Huh. And so, like, right now, our we, Stella thinks it's a magnolia tree. But it got pink and beautiful for yes. a week. Every spring, it gets just totally beautiful. And my dad and I built a, a fort back in the middle of it. It feels like a treehouse. It's not a treehouse, but it's built in between that tree and another tree. And so that's like, yeah, I, leaving this place, I, there, there will be nostalgia. So I understand that. But being on the road so much, there's a while where 200 year, days out of a year on the road. Yeah. I've been you know, I've grown attached to a lot of places. Like I love being in Thailand. I love being in Latin America. Hmm. Um, but I guess I don't have a good clean answer for you for that, for that that's great. question. Well, that's part of what I'm asking okay it is because, because there's a set, there's, there's that sense. I mean, propaganda is right. Like there's the whole sense of soil, but then yeah. as an adult, like there's this other journey or process that we're in, in terms of like a sense of belonging. I'm like, we're never not yeah. speaking out of that place. There's always a sense of yeah. like my reference point for right, for wrong, for it's like, it has a, it has some geography. And yeah. so in Nashville ends up being a really like Los Angeles to some degree, like New York, different New York's probably different, but like it ends up being like this, uh, really interesting place of home for people who live there. Because yeah. it's purpose driven. Like the people who moved to Nashville, like they go for a specific reason, and those reasons tie them together. Um, yeah. Like as in a in a community, you moved there for rock and roll. Mm-hmm. You moved. Were you married when you got there? Yeah, we'd already been married uh, for seven years. Okay. And uh, loved it when you got there. Felt like like you could kind of belong and like make roots or it was like, Hey, we're here for a minute and then we're going to get out. Like how, how'd that go? We didn't even know. Um, you know, my wife was looking for school districts, which in hindsight, you know what I mean? I'd I'd never even thought of that. And I've thought about it a lot since. And, you know, (laughs) (laughs) um, uh, but I'm really thankful. Uh, we, our boys, my, my son, Jack was five and he got on a baseball team with one of my best friends, Jeremy Cowart. Yeah. And, and so our families live 10 houses apart now. And in that sense, like, um, and, and the fact that there's so many people like, not just in the music, but there's so many artistic families and, uh, families that, 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 that people have odd careers like music. Um, 
that there is a, there is a sense of community here. And I think that, you know, people call Nashville a third coast, like you mentioned LA and, and New York. And I didn't really understand what that was, but there is, there is a sense of camaraderie. Everybody's used, you know, the wives are used to the husbands coming and going on, on road trips and yeah. And, and having, you know, getting a home loan was, was easier here because people are used to weird, you know, royalty based income <laughs> yes. and, and yeah, odd things like how much money do you make? I don't know. What time is it? <laughs> like, like, it's very different. Yeah. Um, and at some point, like you went for rock and roll were, at the point at which you moved from Nebraska to Nashville, uh, like you'd been in the band for a minute, but and yeah. you were married. At what point does the transit I should say this like you kind of grow into this sort of this this two-pronged ish um vocational focus like you, you are yeah. you're an advocate um you're you're bridging the gap between the haves and the have-nots you're trying to motivate people to like justice orientation you're also making right. rock and roll like how does that grow in in you were you was the is this like you know every superhero superhero has like the you know the the origin story spider-man's bit by something um Mm -hmm. superman doesn't which is part of what makes him boring uh you know batman's parents are shot the whole nine like yeah for you is there is there an origin point where you're like hey this is a thing that like it, it starts to split my focus i need to figure this out like how do you end up in a place where you have this in a sense, kind of semi-bivocational thing that you do. How does that start for you? I think, I think, and everybody I've talked to, I think there's a series of really intense moments where okay. we feel a, an overwhelming restlessness. Hmm. And uh, I felt that most profoundly during Bono's prayer breakfast speech to George W. actually, when he, when he said God is in the, slums is in the cardboard boxes where the poor play house. Yeah, man. It was like 2005 or something. Yeah. And I was late on the, I was late on it. it I watched it on YouTube later, but then he quoted, you know, I love the way that he quotes scripture. He's like, he, I, I think he knows the reference, but he, he says, I think it was Isaiah that said such and such or Jeremiah yes. that said he such def- and such. He definitely dodges his own, uh, like his own literacy. <laughs> he, really, <laughs> he really does. But, um, it, he, he mentioned the prophet Jeremiah saying he took the cause of the oppressed. Is that not what it means to know me? Says the Lord God Almighty. Hmm. And going back to seventh grade for me, I remember um, singing some of the Les Mes songs in choir. Yeah. And then, and then eventually I watched, I watched it. And then to love another person is to see the face of God. That line as a kid, I was like, oh, this guy doesn't, you know, he doesn't know it's about a personal relationship with Jesus. And yes. so I, I kind of, <laughs> John Valjean has terrible theology. If you're 10 years old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Or, or if you're 10 years old theologically, which I think most of us are most, in this part yes, of the world. It's very true. Um, uh, uh, and then I realized more and more of what, what they were trying to get across. Yes. And, and, uh, and I didn't know that Dr. King was so influenced by, um, uh, do you still have me? Yeah. Okay. I, I, oh, it's, it's just my earplug. Sorry about that. You're good. You're fine. Um, I didn't know Dr. King was so influenced by um, the guy that wrote Les Mis, too. Yes. And it was purposeful. Les Mis was purposeful. It was supposed to do that to me, eventually. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to change the way I saw the world. It was supposed to change the way I saw prostitution and poverty and um, even religion. And, and I, 
so all of that kind of started snowballing for me. We did a few uh, um, benefit concerts for Invisible Children in the early 2000s. Yeah, man. And then in 2012, I watched Coney 2012 with my five-year-old girl at the time, and Ava oh, said, gosh. "Dad." Yeah, it was a it was a weird that's, weird dad. That's you know. a that's a strange <laughs> choice, brother. <laughs> I mean, it that, showed like, up, but it had, it had to be like a thing for you, where like this is a, this is this is a lot, and if yeah. you can't show this to your five year old or explain it to your five year old, that's, I mean, that speaks something to your own soul about the world you're living in. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it was the right move or not. We, we but but we both because it was my first time seeing it. It showed up, you know. You know, a band tweeted about it. Everybody tweeted about it that day. I remember. And so we're we're watching it, and and Ava's crying, and she says, "Dad, why not God protect those boys?" And for me, that was like the moment. I said, "All of those influences," and there was hundreds of other ones. When Dr. King said, "Now is the time for us to develop a dangerous unselfishness," mm-hmm. like for me, that same restlessness. And and with Ava saying that at that moment, then it just overflowed, and I said, "What am I doing? How am I?" Hmm. I'm making music. I'm living my dreams. What? But what am I really doing? So I thought hmm. that I'd write music about that. And yeah. so that's where it started for me. Can you talk a little bit about, and I want to I get into, we will talk really specifically about like the particular things that Exodus Road does, the things that like, the, 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 and your specific involvement. But this moment, yeah. when, because you, you're living in Nebraska at the time. I was here by that time. Okay, you're here by that time. Yeah, so, so you're living in Nashville. You're making music. You're you you are cared for. You have a house. You're able to pay for stuff. Like you're living yeah. in what folks would identify as privilege. Yeah. You hit. You're hit by this thing. Like, oh snap! Like, there's like a thing here. There's there's a reality of the world that I'm not a part of. You've mm-hmm. got the sort of the ghost of Dr. King around. You have like. Can you talk a little bit about? Um, guilt about this sort of uh, about dealing with your own. Here's why the road I'm going down here is like for folks who come all the time, for a lot of us who come all the time late to the game, right? Yeah. That like here's stuff because th- this advocacy movement, like this, the, you know, w- with regards to trafficking and exploitation, this is decades the hell old at this point. Yeah. And everyone who comes to it now is late. Everyone who comes yeah. to it now is late, and it can feel awful. It can feel like one of the one of the obstacles to getting involved is like I, one, I'm late and I feel bad for getting here so late. Uh, two, I don't know if I can get in here without feeling guilty about what I already have on hand and the, my own gifts and privileges. Can you talk about like your own? journey from that point from like the you know coney 2012 with your five-year-old daughter to to actually being like a face in culture saying this is important and speaking with authority that's a huge jump for someone how does that work for you well i wrote right away and uh for i i realized everybody doesn't know what coney 2012 was it's a specific movement to try to take down a guy trafficking children Mm -hmm. uh specifically uh child soldiers and I, I sat down, we, we cried together, and I wrote, it feels like the fight isn't making any difference. Hmm. And I can see the lights floating out in the distance. I can hear the bright notes over all the dissonance. Remember when the righteous rose from indifference. And so that was like the first line I wrote like that morning. Yeah. And that, the chorus of that song was, I feel so small under the starlight. 
Um, so you went right to the thing that you were like your own catharsis was songwriting. Yeah. And you went right to it and like put, put words and action for you in the moment. This is what I can do. I can write a song. Yeah. That's great. Which has, it that's become my mantra too. Hmm. We, we all have a currency that's unique to us. That's good. What are we going to, what are we going to spend that currency on? And that goes back to Bono's speech. He said that he's going to use the currency of his celebrity. He's going to invest that currency on the AIDS crisis. And, and I was moved and I thought maybe I, maybe my voice and my melodies, that's going to be the, you know, my, my, my contribution to this thing. Yeah. And I love how you described it. Cause I think we all have, have that. And then you suddenly get hit upside the head with, well, you can't, I can't do anything. I'm just yeah. a kid. You know, I'm just a kid from Nebraska. I just have a small rock band. Um, yeah. will, it, will, will what I, will what I contribute even matter? And I had to, I struggle with that in the early lyric right off the bat. Yeah. Well, cause there's, I mean, there's both, there's like the, there is the, 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 the lack of capacity thing, but then there's also the yeah. nowadays, cause that, that was dominantly true. I remember early with regards to like give whether it was Compassion International or, um, or or uh, Bloodwater Mission or IJM or you know World Vision. Like the the part of the bridge building was like, no, there is something you can do. Like you you have yeah. power. Part of the new uh, struggle has to do with whether or not you should. In other words, like if you are a person of privilege, you have to be more careful about how you enter into these conversations and not speak as if you're a person of authority. Like there's a, there's a, oh, yeah. there's a, like a, a right earning to be done. So young life terminology, like you have to earn the right to be heard. It used to be a matter of, I have money. I can stop drinking coffee, throw money at poverty. And now I'm a justice yeah. person. Yeah. Nowadays there's a, like a more holistic, like, well, you have to become someone else in order to actually do this. Yeah. How have you changed in the years you've been up to this? Like what, what has fundamentally have, what has had to fundamentally change about you and how you live your life in order hmm. for you to feel like it's not just a thing you can do cause, cause you have money and time, but yeah. because you're actually a person who can inhabit the space. Like how have you changed in order to feel like this is, can be in the, this work can be a home for you? Well, I had to change on the fly because I jumped right into it. Like we, we had actually, we were, we were living in a, in a townhouse when we moved to town, we were renting. And so I had bought a house. And so when I met Matt Parker, who co-founded the Exodus road, we had boxes all up. I I met him. uh, This is what's really cool about our story. He heard one of our songs on the radio in like, Oh eight, And so he had no idea that I had, um, went to the record label and I said, Hey, I got to write an album that's about this. Yeah. And I got a lyric for the album from that conversation. Cause one of the executives said, Hey David, I'm a whore. Hmm. I need you to give me something that can sell. And this is not going to sell. <laughs> so strong. My, I responded by <laughs> know, saying, know thyself, I believe is the reference. there." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, what a thing to say. And uh, that's, it, I that's, that's, successful that's, people yeah. too. Um, but I, I was like, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm not a commodity, and I'm thankful that he said that because I was able to bring that lyric. I, my lyric was, I'm a soul inside a body. I'm not a commodity, hmm. and I was able to leverage um, that feeling that I felt there. And so I left the record label, was working on this album, commodity, an indie album, and Matt, who heard us on the radio that founded the Exodus Road, he, he came to Nashville looking for artists just to talk, 
And so to answer that question, I just felt like, how can I talk about this? I haven't been out of the States other than for a few concerts. Mm-hmm. Um, take me with you. Let me see. Um, let me see the work you're doing. Let me at least maybe even participate in some capacity hmm. and then let me talk about it. So that's how my active participation in undercover work began was that way. And this is year what for you doing this, this particular combination uh, of like you're, you're making music. Cause it's not like you'd quit your job and you did, you did uh, yeah. like personally, this is not a question that you think I like the way you've gone about this. insofar as like, there is this like remain where you are, element to your thing like this is your this you didn't say like here's what this matters now kids being trafficked matters so playing rock and roll for predominantly white audiences is trash and i'm gonna light on fire Mm. so good like you didn't do that thing which is like i i like (laughs) that about you (laughs) it's like (laughs) like you've 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 taken this very strange and i would say good road of saying this is this is the power i've been granted and the yeah. access I've been granted. And here's the thing I get to do with it. Um, you've been at it for how long now? So that was that was 2013. Uh, so it's been almost seven years now. Are you tired because of my it? First, no, I'm not at all. And, and honestly, right now, I'm restless to get back overseas because it's been a bit. It's been a year now. Yeah. Um, and I'm not tired of talking about it. At Good. first, it was hard to talk about because you're ruining people's day because they're not really paying attention. Yes. Um, and you're really a, you know, a bearer of bad tidings Yes, that there are more people enslaved in 2021 than in any other time in history. Yes. Um, but I, there's something about it that, um, even though it's sorrowful, I really truly believe that putting ourselves in close proximity with someone else's sorrow that we're not affected by, you know, hmm. um, I think there's something about that and What's nice about living in Nashville and being a musician is there's this guy, Al Andrews, um, that's mm-hmm. a, I think all the labels like pay for him to be so that we can go for free for counseling, yes. for therapy. Yeah. The Potter's and house I, or something like that. Porter's gate or Porter's. Porter, uh, Porter, yeah. There's a P involved. There's a guy named Al. Yeah. It goes really well. Yes. Yeah. Everyone's better. And so I came back and I'm like, man, I feel like I have lost myself in this. Like I saw things I shouldn't see. I've, I've seen sorrow. I've seen kids being sold firsthand, teenage girls. Am I still going to be the same for my family? Yes. Am I still going to? And he's, he said, no, you're more because you, you're intentionally acquainted yourself with grief. You put yourself in close proximity with someone's sorrow. That's fantastic. And that makes you more like this new design, this new way to be human. That's good. And so my, re- my reluctance to call people into it. And, and like you said, I'm not asking people to quit what they're doing. Do what you already love doing. Do it in the, in the direction of freedom and justice and yes. mercy and compassion. Yeah. And so I can say, here's what I'm doing. Because everybody asks me, what can I do? I'm like, help us fund this for sure. You know, help us fund this. But do what you already love doing and do it in the direction of freedom. So um, like multilayered, it's a question, bit of the conversation. You, you said a second ago, which is true, like there are more, not only are there more kids, people in general, but specifically kids who are enslaved now, like right now than there ever has been in human history. That also means that there are more kids enslaved now than there were when the movement started. Yeah. So there's a, there's a degree to, so one of the questions is like, you know, the cheap question is how does that not become exhausting as Mm. an advocate? 
as someone who's telling stories, how does that not become just deflating, exhausting that like, shouldn't we look back? Cause this is, you know, this is, uh, six or seven years ago, the video starts floating around. Like it used to be that 52% of the world lived on less than a dollar a day. And now it's 26. And there was like, the hmm. numbers were there. It was like, Oh my God, we've made this massive yeah. impact. But with, with, with human slavery, those numbers don't fall as fast and they don't stay down. Like this thing yeah. keeps getting the hell back up like over and over and over again. Like we make an impact, the rules change and then the numbers climb yeah. again. Like, why is that not exhausting for you or for advocates? Like how, how does that not become exhausting? Well, I have to learn and remind myself to celebrate small successes hmm. and, and, but not hold those successes as the goal. So first of all, I need to celebrate more. If we are part and contribute to someone's escape from slavery, I'm going to celebrate that. I'm going to be loud about it. Um, and if we help arrest somebody, I'm going to be loud about that too. Yeah. Does that mean that some, you know, some people s will say what you said and use that as an excuse. Yeah. They're accelerating in slavery faster than we can, we can learn how to, uh, or, or not learn how to, but l faster than we can, they're, we're outfunded, you know, we're out, we're outgunned. Way out. Um, uh, so, but I, I had, I just have to do the next right thing. I have a certain amount of power and privilege and platform. Like you, like you mentioned, I have this power. What kind of person would I be if I wouldn't leverage this power in, in some way in the, mm. in for justice? Um, what kind of person would that make me? And so with that in mind, um, the goal isn't to end slavery in my lifetime. I'm not going to do that. I know that, mm. but I'm alive today. And my daughters and my son are looking at their dad. What's their dad going to do at a time when there's more slavery in, in, than ever before? Yeah. Well, he's being loud about it and annoyingly loud about it. And he and it's taken him, Mike, from my kid's perspective, it's taken me out of their lives even more. You know, um, they they and in a way that when they were little, they were scared. Is dad coming home this time? You know. Yeah. Um, and that legacy, because when 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 Anna heard about it, my wife heard about it the first time when I met Matt, um, she said, no way. And I said, well, he's coming over for breakfast tomorrow morning. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the pieces are set. <laughs> <laughs> and she was, you know, halfway through that breakfast, she was in tears and she says, David's going to join you. This will be our legacy. Hmm. And, and there's something about it. I don't know how to describe it, but there's something about bravery and courage and selfless actions that's more real than any number of people yeah. enslaved. That well, selflessness. It's the difference between like, you know, what do I do and how do I, how am I effective versus what you just said? Or like, what kind of person am I going to be? Because there's, yeah. this, there's, that's, it's the point at which, uh, it's like, it's the pivot point between being exhausted at the job Versus yeah. like, like continuing in the process of your own becoming. I like, I will mm. continue on a journey, uh, in which like I am becoming something and becoming yeah. someone versus like just trying to accomplish a thing that is mm. external to me. I mean, it's a story that, that Sarah Groves tells about her own interest. Uh, uh, she's a songwriter, um, as well. And or her entrance into the process was it's a similar conversation that she came to, she came to, I think it was Gary Haugen and who was at IJM and said, wait, what can I do? And yeah. he said, become a person of justice. Like that was his answer. Mm. And she was, a, especially at the time had this like 
massive platform, lots of numbers, like could take it on to, could take it on tour. And instead of making her a tool, he said, "Become a person of justice," because he knew yeah. what you like intuited, which is, "I'm going to have to become someone. You'll have to be someone different in this yeah. process in order for this to last, and not just be like." one more moment yeah like like so many other moments in in movements that are like it's a flash and then it goes away what does it look like for you to do the work now in in your life yeah uh where you're making a record now and uh you're also like you're advocating on behalf of kids and working with Exodus Road. Like what, what's your life actually look like now? What's it look like for you to do your work? It's a, I, I love, I love the uniqueness of it. I love, mm. I love going overseas, uh, pretending to be somebody else, uh, learning, learning different techniques we use to spy on criminal networks. I love being undercover with law enforcement and I do love, uh, the conversations I get to have with people that are currently enslaved or even just, just women and girls that are being exploited. Some, sometimes, you know, I'll spend 30 minutes talking to somebody in proximity with the trafficking network or where they're doing business and I'll, I'll learn it. I'll learn a lot. So there's these, um, but I also am very human about it. I, I mm. always ask people, what are your dreams? What are your hopes? Mm. If you didn't have to do this, what would you rather be doing? Wow. And those conversations have formed who I am, but it's also formed the lyric. And so a ton of lyric from Amagua more this new album, um, comes directly from those conversations. And also I'm representing, you know, even though I have a public face in this kind of like Frederick Douglass was the most photographed person of his day. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm trying to shine light and tell the story of people who who do this full time. So they can't have their, their, their identity burned. So they have to stay private in it. Um, and that's a big responsibility. I want to tell their story with dignity and and celebrate because with the Exodus road, it's all national operatives that, that are doing the bulk of the work. So in India, it's Indian women and men. And, um, so it's just, I never planned it, but it's turned into kind of a natural thing. I go, I do this work for a short time. I come back and I try to talk about it and fundraise and I still get to do my day job of having a rock and roll band. Um, but I'm you know, always trying to leverage any part of that, whether it's uh, conversations after shows or whether it's the albums themselves or interviews or uh, podcasts like this or um, news, newspaper articles. I'm, it's such a privilege to get to talk about brave women and men around the world. Yes. Do you have personal metrics for success? Like when you talk about when you talk, like so there's like there's the grand, uh, yeah. and I love that you said it earlier. By the way, like I like the goal is to not end you know, slavery in my lifetime. That's the thing that we all got used to hearing. Yeah, uh, like we'd go to the conference. And like, yeah. you are the generation that's going to end global poverty. You're the generation that will end hmm. slavery, and then yeah. and and then it doesn't. And then people are suddenly forty six, be like, ah, what a bunch of crap. And then they're dissociated yeah. emotionally. Like that's not the metric. Yeah. Uh, the for you personally, like, do you do you how do you keep track of or do you keep track of like your own growth? Like, is there a way you measure success and growth and effectiveness that isn't just like sheer numbers used to be six. Now we're at 24. Like what's it look like for you to take a look at your own life and be like, I am effective. I'm happy where I'm at. <laughs> um, 
I wonder if anybody ever truly believes they're happy. <laughs> they're at. <laughs> Come on when now. people say it, Preach. I'm like, man, I'm not sure if I believe you or not. I'm not happy with, um, with, with where we're at. I like, even with the band, like people say, I wish the band would have taken off in a way that it didn't. Um, you know what I mean? I, I really yeah. wish, but then I look at, you know, Spotify plays and all along has one and a half million plays. And, and yeah. at a time there's millions of people hearing that particular song all the time. And that was with the label. And then I look at commodity, that song on Spotify is, you know, between the two different versions, it's coming close to a million and I, I'm overwhelmed by that. Yeah. So I, I it's weird. I, like, and I'm using the, those, those numbers as, as an example of how I am with everything in life, but specifically that's the way we would measure success. How many people are listening, you know, yeah. paying attention? How many, uh, Weezer just wrote a song called numbers, which is great. You know, yes. it kind of makes fun of it's us a great song, too. being so obsessed with those numbers. Yes. Yes. Um, and with the Exodus Road, in the same way, 1,500 people that were enslaved, that we played a small part with the band, with the work of the Exodus Road, at, at assisting in their escape from slavery. And 800 traffickers in prison, 400 years of sentence, sentencing for, tra- for, pe- for trafficking, yes. uh, for criminals. All of those are things that I, that I celebrate. And I celebrate differently, though. I don't celebrate in the sense of, like, this is, this is, you know, this is what brings me value. And and that's a fine line, you know. There's a way um, in which discontent actually plays a role in, you know, what Jesus would have called like the, you know, like the full, like full life, right? Hmm, there's a way in which yeah. like there's, you know, it, it, we 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 heavily lean on like Paul, you know, the Apostle Paul talking about being content in all circumstances, yeah. And then you know Jesus talking about the full life. There is this. There's a role that discontent actually ends up playing, whether it's being in a band or making art and wanting to make it and regardless of what the thing is, but specifically when it comes to justice work, boy, if you're not bothered. Yeah. And so in some way, like, uh, are you alive in it? There's Mm. like discontent plays a role in like being present to the thing. Yeah. And there's a difference between with my music, just being, I am thankful for what we've accomplished and the, the, the fortune we've had. Um, but at the same time, every now and then I drift into like, wow, what if we had the audience level that that particular band has, but there's no end to that, you know? No. And like John Mayer said, once you get to the end, you know, there's nothing there. You've realized there's nothing there. So I, I hold that, I hold on to that and believe that. Mm -hmm. Um, and, 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 you know, with the Exodus road, uh, you know, you look at like IJM and the, and all the good work they're able to do because of the size of the organization. And so it's just, I feel like the same way with, with there's no joy in comparison. Mm-hmm. So, so it's such a razor's edge between comparison and like you said, that unrest, that angst, that, that, um, what do you say? Discontentment. Discontent. We can do better. Yeah. And so I hold those, I hold that and I try to balance that. I don't know how good of a job I do, but I try to, cause it, but it still drives me. I don't like the way the world is. I hate, I hate the state of things on my watch. Yeah. And I am, I'm not okay with doing nothing. And so that's all like my biggest call to people is hey, don't do nothing period. You know, I don't, don't do nothing. I like what, what Hogan said to Sarah Gross too. That's what did he say again? He said, become a person of justice. Yeah. Become a person of justice. So I'm, I'm, I'm learning how to do that. You know, I, when I started this, my t-shirts were, were impacted by slavery. There's no way around it. No way around it. But now through free set, through Agape International Mission, through Soxom and Rafa House, all of our, all of our products are not only impacted, 
not not only not impacted by slavery, but also are helping, you know, in in organizations that are they're contributing to restoration and therapy for survivors that are coming out of trafficking. And so that's been a slow process. I'm wondering about genes. I'm I'm, I'm honestly looking for somewhere to get decent genes in the future. Yeah. Uh, from a from a similar scenario and and there was a there was a a list of resources um a while back and this is one of the things that actually sucks legit sucks about the fact that this particular area of justice work has so many swells like what like like that blows up for a minute yeah and then it just goes the hell away for a long time and some is because it's just, it really is. And you and I both know, like, it's gross. Like, it's what, like, poverty is like, people don't eat and yeah. we need to end resources. But this is like, no, there are kids being trafficked for the sexual exploitation of wealthy Westerners. That's yeah. disgusting. It's like the, that's like the, the most depraved thing. And so, like, yeah. it blows up and then we actually take a look at it. And part of why it goes away is because, like, uh, it's actually disgusting and we don't like looking yeah. at it and we're privy to it. And like you said, I can't, buy a damn stitch of clothing without actually participating in it, which makes me yeah. feel gross and the whole thing. But and like, my phone, my phone I, has Colton in it. Yes. And that's, that's like our refugee friends from the Congo. They're like, Hey, it's, it's your electronics. That's why yes. you, you're, you're, such a mess. you're making a phone call to rescue kids. Yeah. Using stuff that benefited from yes, the same process. But so like in these swells, like, you know, resources pop up. And for a while yeah. there, there were these, um, apps by what you could like scan a barcode and figure out where things went yeah, and where things came from. And then they kind of go away and then like, and then they're outdated. Yeah. Um, what does it look like then? Like, because it, like, as it gets darker and weirder, it gets harder to say, I'm going to do something. And if, and if I don't just want to like throw dollars and cents at it per se, like, although that's part of it, like if you're someone who is doing nothing, mm-hmm. what do you do? Like, where do you start? Like, if you sit down with someone like, Hey, I was at your show, read a thing you, you said online. Um, I want to do something. I feel guilty. I feel this. I feel moved. What do I do? Like, where does someone start? Where do you tell someone to get started? My, I love what the Exodus Road set up for me. I just tell people text remedy to five one five five five, and because I the, the pitch is hard for me, like making a pitch from stage. Yeah. <laughs> so I just tell people to do that. They get a message that's you know if you can do a monthly donation, that's a great start. I hate it. I I hate it that that's become like the end goal in a lot of ways for people. Like a you know thirty bucks a month is like the end goal. I don't want to make anybody think that's what that's the that's the goal. But also, what's great about that number is you get updates when couple days ago five women were rescued in india and so you get that text on your phone yeah which is really cool yes um and then i made on our website remedydrive.com slash action because i don't have the best answer for somebody and i don't want to limit them in their in their belief of what they can do yes is i just have listed out a bunch of cool things that people have done Hmm. karina in iowa ran a ran a 5k in stilettos and then another like half marathon. Wait, wait, wait. Did she really? Marathon. She did. And she had to get carried across the finish line. <laughs> Her feet were bleeding. Oh my gosh. And I've got, you know, I, I don't, I couldn't have said that. Like, Hey, run a 5k. It's let us. <laughs> no, it's, got, not, it's not a thing you bring to the table. It's yeah. Just, yeah. It's not your experience. But she did. And it was amazing. And it, and the, the high heel and the, and the symbolism of it 
It was really beautiful. Yeah. And like these girls, these girls in North Dakota said, we do what you do. We hunt wolves and we rescue princesses. And so whatever they're doing, these, these young girls at their capacity, at their level, um, I, I, I truly believe that when, I mean, this is magnetic, there is a magnetism to justice work. And if you take a step forward, even with all the opposition, because one reason, like you said, it's messy, it's gross, it's gross to look at, it's the liability for us hmm. partnering with a counter-trafficking organization as a band is really high. You know, there's people that won't have us in because of it. Um, there, there are people that don't believe in this work from all different uh, backgrounds that come after it and say there's a better way to do it uh, or there's, you know, it's not necessary or, or, um, oh, they're just sex workers. They choose to be in it. Yep. Um, uh, so there's all sorts of reasons not to get involved, but I promise you, if you do get involved in some capacity, the water will part for you. Even mm. if there's a army coming down behind you in a mountain, the water will part like it did for Moses when he led a million slaves to their freedom on dry ground. You said something earlier uh, about how we can get it wrong. There was this beautiful moment for me last June. Um, ever since we watched Selma, one of my daughters said that. <laughs> she said, uh, because this is how I stumbled on you on Twitter. Um, uh, but she's like, Dad, we need to make signs that say freedom for black people. And we need to like go door to door and just knock on people's doors. That was her response. I, I, I like summer. your daughter a lot. I'm a <laughs> <Yeah>. huge fan. <laughs> and so uh, June of 2020 happened and they did. They made a sign and they put it in the front yard and um, a woman was jogging and she, she posted on the mom's group here in this neighborhood how it, it really moved her seeing that sign and hmm. this white family's yard. And, um, and it didn't say freedom for black people. It said Black Lives Matter. And um, and and then another a bunch of moms started sharing stories about their kids getting like followed to work or harassed when jogging. And hmm. one mom said she doesn't let her kids jog. And so we had a march and the lady that organized the march, my girls took that sign out of the yard and carried it there. And the lady that organized the march that that started because of the kids sign, there's about 150 moms and kids and a few dads um, was talking. And she said, here at this library, this library used to be a plantation. And she said, and the employees slept right over there. And this black lady shouted out right away, not employees, they were slaves. <laughs> yeah, man. It was such a, it was a great moment where, where she said, I said that wrong. And that's what's beautiful is we can, we can thank you ah. for saying that you're right. And so I, I like it that there's room and there needs to be grace for us to kind of stumble into it. And there needs to be humility for those that are Johnny come late. These like you're talking about to stumble in with humility, I'm going to do things wrong and I need to give grace for other people that are showing up because there's a lot of misinformation about trafficking right now. Yes. A lot of like awful, stupid um, <laughs> misinformation about trafficking. And I'm trying to have grace for the, for everybody that's just showing up Yes. Um, in the same way. Well, I, I, I wanted to hear that story. That's great. And that's, a, that, I, I, I love that as a landing place. I, I, and I mean it like I, um, in some way, shape or form, been a, been around conversation and work with human trafficking for going on 20 years and yeah. so I love the work you're doing um, but as a public representative I really really like and appreciate and deeply value the way you've gone about doing it so keep up the good work thank you Justin you got I appreciate it. that
And thank you for listening to this episode of the Etsy podcast. If you'd like to follow up with David Zack, his work as an artist with Remedy Drive, or his work as an abolitionist through the Exodus Road, you can jump to remedydrive.com backslash David Zack, Z-A-C-H. And from there, you can check out all of his work. If you would like to be part of the team of folks who continues to make this podcast possible, you can go to patreon.com backslash Justin McRoberts and join us. We would love to have you. Until next time.